Let's go to God in prayer as we open up our time together tonight. Our God and our Father, we approach your throne of grace with humility, with honor. We bring you glory for who you are and for who you've called us to be. We are grateful that we are able to be called your people, humbled at the place we have been given in your estate. Pray that we'd be mindful of these things as we live our lives. As we leave this place, we'd be emboldened by your, by your grace and by your mercy. We'd have the wisdom to follow where your spirit leads and the courage to do what you ask of us through him. And may we be the people that we were created to be. May we be aware of the things that are going on around us and the people who may need so desperately to hear from you. May we be mindful of the gospel that we have to share, the good news of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 4. It's a little book right after Obadiah, in case you were wondering. Everybody knows where Obadiah is. Jonah chapter 4, we'll uh, wrap up the story of Jonah tonight as we look at this kind of last episode uh, of Jonah's life. If you um, kind of reflecting on the things that we've talked about as we looked at God's providence and how um, God even, uh, the storm, uh, the storm that Jonah and the men on the boat find themselves in is an, is an act of God's grace. That there is salvation that comes even through the storm. God works through that in a way, not only in the life of Jonah, but in the life of the sailors as well, as there is a measure of grace that comes through the storm. We talked about how God works through those things. Um, and I want you to keep in mind also, as we've gone through here, many times it's easy to relate to Jonah, um, because we can relate to Jonah from a distance, because very few of us have ever decided to do exactly the opposite of what God asked us to do. And so we can look at Jonah's rebellion, and while we can semi-identify with it, it seems still distant enough uh, that we are comfortable in seeing that. Um, if you remember in week one, what we talked about is that frequently our idea of rebellion is being adjacent to the will of God. Um, we don't necessarily run in completely the opposite direction, but we run in God's direction, we just run our own way. And we still do what God asks us to do, but we do it in our own time and when we are ready, not necessarily when He is ready. And really that in itself is an act of rebellion. Because God doesn't ask us to do His will in our time, He asks us to do His will in His time. And sometimes that's quicker than we would expect, and sometimes that's a lot longer than we would expect, because God has this way of working that doesn't always line up with our idea of what's best. And so here we find Jonah, and uh, we're going to find Jonah in this place where God uses a vivid object lesson to bring the point home to Jonah, as if three days in the belly of a fish wasn't a vivid enough object lesson for Jonah, um, he is going to have yet another object lesson in the sovereignty of God over creation and salvation. And if you remember, Jonah is called uh, to go to Nineveh. 
the Ninevites are a people Jonah is not particularly keen on bringing the message of salvation to. Uh, in fact, what we're going to find out when we see Jonah is, is the reason he didn't go to Nineveh is because he knew God would save them. In fact, that's exactly what he said. He said, isn't this exactly what I said you were going to do? I didn't want to come and preach because they knew they would respond, and I knew that you were a God of grace. I knew that you were a God of mercy. And so let's read Jonah chapter 4 in this episode, and then we'll kind of go through here and see what we can learn from it about, about what God would have us do in our space. It says, but Jonah, um, uh, remember last week, Jonah went and he preached and the Ninevites responded, right? They had this great fast. Uh, they declared you know, that the whole city would be repentant. Even the king uh, took off his robes and put on sackcloth, said no, not even their animals, even their animals fasted in repentance, in response to the very simple message that Jonah preached. And so Jonah sees the repentance and sees God's uh, relenting of his punishment. Um, in verse 4, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Um, you know, just like any good preacher, it, when you can convince an entire city to respond to the message, I mean, my first instinct when people respond to my message is just to get angry. I knew it. But that's Jonah's response. The people answer. The people repent. God relents. And Jonah is not just unhappy, furious, furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry and rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sinning disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city, sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city? Um, how, like, how out of touch do we have to be, right? And, and I can look at Jonah and I can think, man, how out of touch is Jonah? Uh, and, because, and I can say it about him because I don't want to look at how frequently I am out of touch in similar ways. I, I knew that you were a God that doesn't want to send disaster. I knew that you were a great and merciful and compassionate God, full of unfailing love. And why on God's green earth would I want to proclaim that message, not to the world, but to these people? You could have sent me anywhere in the world, but you sent me to them. How can you, God, want to save those people? You can't preach to them. And he, he's not wanting to, he's not afraid to go because he's afraid of being punished. He doesn't want to go because he doesn't want them to be saved. That's, that's how much passion there is for these people. God has something he wants Jonah to learn, though. 
Um, it's interesting, if you look through Scripture, there's something about the East. We talked about when we studied Genesis, and you see it throughout Scripture. Um, when the scapegoat was sent off in the desert, where was he sent? Sent to the East. When Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, they were sent to the East. Um, bad stuff comes, goes to the East and comes from the East. Uh, even in Revelation, you know, you look, the beast from the East comes and brings destruction. So, I mean, there's some significance here about where Jonah goes. He leaves the city and he goes east. Most of the time, when someone goes east, they're not right. Right? It's, uh, whether it's an exact um, direction or not, it's this, it's this way of saying Jonah's going to the east. And we know that something is going on here. Uh, and there's about to be some kind of repentance coming or some kind of judgment coming because he's gone that direction. Just an interesting thing that we see in the Old Testament. And here is Jonah. He's seen that God relents. He's seen that they respond. And he's just going to go find a big hill, and he's going to sit there. And and basically, he's going to go sit and hope that he gets to see some fireworks. He wants to see fire raining down from heaven onto the city of Nineveh. And he goes and he parks himself east of the city. He made himself a shelter there. in verse 5, second half of verse 5. And he sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Oh, and Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God also appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered the next day. Uh, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. And he said again, it is better for me to die than to live. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. And so the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night, it perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? And so here is this great object lesson that he brings. Jonah's angry with God over the repentance of Nineveh. And he's been rescued from the sea, he spent three days and three nights in, in the belly of a fish, and he lands on the shore, and he receives yet again another uh, instruction from God to go to Nineveh. And so we see that this has transpired, and even through this, Jonah is still not accepting of God's purpose. He's still not accepting the fact that he has this great desire to save the wicked people of Nineveh. Ill-deserving people. And Jonah's desire for himself is greater than his love for these people or his love for God's will. There's something here that's driving this to Jonah. And here's the thing that's often difficult to see. God's purpose especially when you're going through some of those things that are difficult that we've been called to do in life, God's purpose is often difficult to accept. 
especially when I find it in conflict with what I want. I know what I want, and I know what God is asking. And when those things are close together, even almost kind of close together, I can kind of make it work. And there's a lot of things I see my desire, and I see what God is calling me to, and I tell you, it's, it's hard to accept. It's hard to get on board when it is far away from my desire. And Jonah has this, this anger, this misplaced anger. First, he's angry that the people repented. Then he's angry um, that the plant died. And then he's got this scorching wind. He's like, I... Why don't you just kill me? It is better for me to die than to live in this place. And he's acting like a he's acting like a three or four year old here, isn't he? I mean, you have any right to be angry? Yes. Why? I don't know. I just do. I have a right to because I'm mad, and I don't know what I'm mad at. He's just taking his anger out on anything that'll listen. And right now, a plant will do. Have you been there? I have. I didn't realize how much anxiety, how much pressure, how much anger I had tied up in me when I was uh, working in the, in the car business. I didn't realize how much pressure was in my heart. I thought I had done a great job of keeping it compartmentalized, of coming home and putting that stuff away until I realized that being without a job and having no money and no income and still all the same bills was less stress than what I was living with before at home. When my house was more peaceful, when we couldn't pay the bills, than it was when we were doing well. I realized there were times where I would get mad and upset and and just fly off the handle at people that hadn't wronged me at all. Because there was anxiety and pressure and anger within me because of what was going on in some other place. There's something else going on with Jonah. Part of it's about the people. Part of it's about the plant. There's something else going on. The thing about Jonah is he didn't understand God's purpose. He didn't understand what God was doing because ultimately God is asking Jonah to come to the same realization that he asked Job to come to. And consequently, it's the same realization he asked you and I to come to as well. And that is simply this. God is sovereign. Job lost everything. Everything. Even his wife looked at him and said, Who is this God that you've been serving? Curse God and die. And Job shook his fist at God and demanded an answer, and he got an answer. And the answer was simply, Is God enough? God's answer to Job was not in any answer at all. It was simply the question, am I enough for you? Do you not know who I am? Do you not have faith in who I am? I created all that you see. I gave you all that you had. I'm the one that told the, the, the stars in the sky where they can hang, how far the ocean can come, where the horizon will stop. 
Is that put all this stuff in its place? Am I enough for you? And he comes to Jonah and he says, what right do you have to be angry about the plant? I put it there. And you're upset over these people who repent. And I know they're evil people and I know what they've done to my people, but they are still people that I have created. He said, you're all upset over this plant and you had nothing to do with it. I created those people. Don't you know how deep my love for them goes? And we see, just like he appointed the fish, he appoints the plant, he appoints the worm, he appoints the wind, he appoints the sun. What Jonah has to understand is he doesn't have to understand the purpose. He doesn't have to understand the why or the how. What he has to understand is that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over creation. He is sovereign over mankind. And it is his. It is his to work with and use as he sees fit. And here you have a plant that obeys God. You have a wind that obeys. You have a fish that obeys. You have a worm that obeys. And you have a prophet that is resistant. How frequently we are resistant. But Jonah's got more chances to get on board with God's plan for creation. The problem with Jonah is Jonah is more concerned with his own comfort than he is with the eternal salvation of the people of Nineveh. We were talking this morning uh, in, in class about you know, the parable of, of the Good Samaritan. Um, and, you know, there is this, there's all kinds of things that you can learn from that parable. When, when you think about how do you decide who you will show mercy to? Um, the, you know, the question we typically ask and, and what we see, Jonah looks at Nineveh and they say, they're not worthy of the message of God. And the question that we asked this morning is, who do you decide is not worthy of your mercy? Um, and when I was talking with Jim and Tommy after class, I said, you know, I don't ever decide that someone is not worthy, at least not blatantly. I don't ever drive by and go, mm, nah, not worth my help. But I tell you what I do frequently is go, man, I'd love to help them, but woo, I'm running late. My schedule is more important than their need. I've got somewhere to be. I've got someone to meet. I'm supposed to be here or there. I've got things to do. My need is more important than the need of the people who I pass. And so while I may not physically look at them and say they are not worthy of my help, what I do is I elevate my own needs over the needs of others. And that's essentially what Jonah does here. He's, I mean, certainly he has some disdain for these people. But he is more concerned about his own desire, his own need, his own comfort than he is about the needs of the people he's been called to minister to. And they're both the same. Like I may not be looking and saying, you're not worthy, but my action is, or my inaction. And I want to qualify that and say, well, you know, we can't help everybody. Like maybe, 
maybe we can't. Or maybe that's just me giving myself a pass. I don't know. I'm, I'm wrestling with that still. But to be a people of mercy, who understand God's mercy and who understand it so richly and so deeply and so intimately that we can't help but share it. Every chance that we get. And to understand that God is sovereign. We also see this with Jonah, that God allows some situations. He allows some places where our comfort is so stressed that we really don't have any choice but to conform to his will. And I've found myself in, in that place on a few occasions in my life where, where I am just in this place where I have no choice but to rely on God. Not very frequently in my life has that occurred. But there have been times. Um, I remember when I left the car business and we were in school, or I was in school, Heather was working all that she could. I mean, our, our house was a revolving door of kids. Um, we had all kinds of kids in and out of the house that, that she was keeping and watching during the day. And I was in school trying to make a, find a path to something different. And we had spent a lot of time helping a lot of folks in our Bible class at church. And every week they'd say, what do you guys need? I'd say, nothing. We're good. We're good. And I remember the day our refrigerator went out. Um, I said something to somebody about it. I said, well, I've got to go buy a refrigerator. I was like, you need help? I was like, no, we're good. You need help? I got it. We didn't have it. <laughs> we were struggling. I didn't want to admit it. And we get home, and in our mailbox is an envelope of cash. Said, I heard you needed a refrigerator. And it was just enough money to go buy a new refrigerator. It's almost like they had gone shopping for us. Humbled by the way God's people care. It happened again at Christmas time, while even after that happened over and over again, I was like, We're fine, I don't need help. And I had one of our elders who was in our class come up to me and he said, Josh. Your family has helped so many. People want to give back to you. He said, and, and your pride is not allowing you to experience the care of God's people. He said, I have something for you that people have, have put together for your family to make sure that your kids don't go without Christmas while you're in school. So there have been times where God has brought me to this point that said, you're not getting it, and I'm going to put you in a place where you really have no choice but to see what I'm trying to do with you. Just follow me. Put your pride away, put your selfishness away, put your own desires away, and just follow where the Spirit leads. Sometimes those things are so uncomfortable and so stressful that that's the only choice that we have is to follow him 
is to conform to his will. And this is, this is evidence of God's great love. How far he will go for you and for me. To help his children learn to love the things that he loves and to do the things that he desires. And he invites us basically to go to work with him. And to learn from him in those ways. The story of Jonah ends pretty abruptly. Don't really know what happens to Jonah after this. Don't know where he came from in the first place. Don't know where he went after. But it comes to this end. But it's come here full circle. God begins by calling Jonah to preach a message to 120,000 people. And now 120,000 people have responded. And God comes back to deal with the one that he sent in the first place. And it's easy to look at stories like this and see that God has this great love and desire for the people of Nineveh. How he has a great love and desire for the people of the world, for the lost, and he wants these great redemption stories of people that need to, that need to be snatched from the fires of hell because they're living in such evil, unrepented, and wicked ways. But God's love is not only for renegade cities and people. But he comes back and he has a deep, abiding heart of one rebellious prophet. Because he doesn't leave Jonah on the hill. He doesn't leave him in the scorching wind. He comes back to him and he says, Jonah, don't you know who I am? And he deals with the one rebellious prophet. Just like in Luke Chapter 15, you have the story of the, of the shepherd who has a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine are safe in the pen, and there is one little lost sheep wandering around. And, and he leaves the ninety-nine because they're safe in the sheepfold, and he pursues the one that's lost. He pursues the one that's lost in the same way that he would pursue the ninety-nine if they were all lost, with the same passion, with the same desire, with that same Faithful love. He has that same faithful love even for the one rebellious prophet. And here, with Nineveh now safely in the fold, God turns his attention to the wandering soul that has been chosen to belong to him and to bear his message and his name. You see, he doesn't just want to use you to accomplish his work like a cruel master. You're not just simply a tool to be used to proclaim the message. His desire for you is the same as it was for the people of Nineveh. And his desire for Jonah is the same as it was for the people of Nineveh. And his desire for Jonah did not change simply because he ran away. It didn't change because he misunderstood his sovereignty. It didn't change Because he was selfish and prideful and arrogant and like a toddler throwing a temper tantrum on top of a hill outside of Nineveh. And if you ever thrown a temper tantrum that got you anywhere? If you have, I want to know the secret, okay? Because mine have never gotten me anywhere except deeper in the hole. And Jonas doesn't get him anywhere either. 
but God doesn't leave them. The message is simply this. Creation is mine, says the Lord. The people are mine, the world is mine. I'm sovereign over it all. You don't have to understand it, you don't have to see it, you don't have to have the same perspective, but you do have to be willing to follow the will of God. To sacrifice the things of this world to do and to live the way He's called us to live.